Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations. And if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcast, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and at any online book retailer you prefer. Check it out today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand, both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them at cabotrisk.com. I am totally and completely excited to introduce our guest today. Jim Cathcart is an executive mentor, strategic advisor, motivational expert, sales consultant, entertainer, and author of 20 books, including The Acorn Principle and Relationship Selling, both international bestsellers. He's a TEDx speaker, and he's in the top 1%, which means he's had over 2 million views of his postings. He's also a top in the top 30 sales gurus for 2020, listed amongst top sales influencers of 2014, 15, 16, and 19, and voted top five sales service speakers from 2010 to 2014, which if you can do the math is five years in a row. He's also a member of the Dean's Advisory Council for the School of Management at California Lutheran University. He's a professional speaker and a member of the Professional Speaker Hall of Fame. And he's a past president of the National Speakers Association. Jim has 44 years of professional presentation work and over 3,300 clients worldwide. I could keep reading his bio, but we would run out of time. Hello, Jim. Wow. Ed, uh, I can't wait to hear me after that intro. (laughs) (laughs) I said I could keep going. Uh, There's more and more listed. So we really, really appreciate you finding time and what I assume is a very active schedule to talk a little bit about bravery in the workplace. (laughs) Happy to join you. And I've been looking forward to this for a week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I did a little bit of a job introducing you, Jim, and I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more from you, you know, really as to, you know, kind of what your core deliverables are today and how you present yourself to the market. Well, let's Let's start with where I started. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. My dad was a telephone repairman. Mom was a housewife taking care of me and my little sister and my grandfather, who was an invalid from a stroke in a hospital bed in our front bedroom. He didn't speak or move for the last seven years of his life. And mom took care of him and my grandmother and me and my little sister while dad was on the road as a lineman and then a repairman for the phone company. And so I grew up expecting a pretty ordinary life. But as you just read in that introduction, I've had an amazingly extraordinary life. I've been blessed beyond measure. And what I do today is I, I, I mentor high achievers 
people who have decided that they're going to succeed no matter how difficult it seems or how long it takes, those are the people that I like to work with best because once somebody's truly made a full commitment to succeed in their chosen field, then the questions that come up and the, and the guidelines that they follow are different from those that are just hoping to succeed someday. Jim, a lot of our listeners have heard from other guests that mentoring is a great way to find bravery in the workplace. And I'd wonder if you'd tell us a little bit as to whether mentoring is different than coaching and what it is that you do to help mentor people who are already successful professionals. Yeah, uh, mentoring and coaching are similar in that both are uh, someone who knows more about a topic is guiding someone who's growing in their knowledge of that topic. Uh, but coaching, well, think of an analogy like a, uh, a sports coach. You know, sports coaches tell you, go out there and do these drills until you master them. And, uh, you know, they guide you through the process that way. A mentor will it, it is more thought-focused. You know, they'll say, Ed, I, I think you're looking at it from the wrong angle. Let's, let's talk this through. Why did you do that in the first place? What was your thinking? Okay, and what did you, you know, so they guide you through a thought process like that. I, years ago, I had a mentor, Joe Willard, who's still a, a dear, close friend and mentor to me today. But this was 40-something years ago when I first went into the field of professional speaking and training. Um, he was not only my first big client, but he was also a personal friend and a guide, a mentor to me. And um, I remember I used to go to him with an idea and he would say, really? He said, I think you, you need to completely start over again with the way you're approaching this. And so he would have me think much larger than I did back then. Today, one of my mentors and friends is an agent of mine in China, Dr. David Chu. And David is, is um, of course, not able to bring me to China this year because of all the COVID thing and the tensions between our countries. But over the past five years has brought me to China multiple times, 23 different cities lecturing to thousands and thousands of people at a time for up to six hours a day. And um, I've published uh, four books in Chinese, English combined. And last year, 2019, I did six tours of China for a total of 71 days in country doing lectures over there. So many of our listeners have also heard, Jim, from people who are presentation coaches uh, advising others on how to be more comfortable presenting in front of others, whether it's a small group or a large audience of thousands of people, et cetera. And I'm wondering, as a person who presents professionally and has done <clears throat> excuse me, thousands of presentations, does it require bravery? I mean, do you get <laughs> nervous? I mean, what, what, what are you feeling when someone of your capabilities and skill always uh, you know, continues to get up in front and talk to people? Yeah, it, it, it does require bravery, but let's define bravery. bravery. Bravery is not the absence of fear. It's taking action despite your fear, okay? So if bravery is acting despite reluctance, fear, apprehension, or whatever it is that you're feeling, then um, 
let's focus on that aspect of it. I've had many occasions where I've I've faced a situation that terrified me, but I chose to step into it instead of run away from it. And uh, I, I can think of one where I was speaking to a, a group of medical students who had just graduated or, or at least achieved graduation status. And they had been informed that instead of having their normal two weeks to go home and relax for a little while before they started their internship or residency, they had to go through two extra weeks of practice management training that was implemented at the last minute by the faculty. And so I walked into the meeting room that morning, all prepared to do the first of three days of seminars on how to run a small business as it applies to medical practices. And I'm in one of these rooms that's like a pit, you know, where you walk down to the stage. You've seen mm-hmm. those in, in movies and TV shows about medical schools. Well, sure, anyway, yeah. I'm in there early, ready to do my role. And the doctor in charge of the event, who's part of the faculty, one of the one of the evil ones who perpetrated this this problem on the students. <laughs> he, he's pacing back and forth in front of the room, and the students file in with grim looks on their face. They're all very angry at the faculty, but they know they have to be there in order to graduate. So they file into the room, they sit down, they cross their arms and scowl at the professor at the front of the room. And what I learned later is the students, because of this outrageous demand that faculty placed on them at the last minute after all these hard years of medical school, they made a pact among themselves that none of them would learn anything during this week and that they would all intentionally fail every exam. And uh, so they would have to flunk the entire graduating class or waive the uh, requirement and admit their sin. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there and I'm next. (laughs) I'm facing back and forth in front of the room like a caged animal. And he looks up at him and he says, it's not going to work. He said, you're acting like a bunch of children. He said, this is stupid and you might as well just get over it. You have to be here, which increased the tension between him and the students. And the students became even more defiant in their posture. And he said, we brought in a motivational speaker. Maybe he can do something with you. And then he walked out of the room. Best, best lead in ever. (laughs) That was my introduction. Now contrast that with the intro you just gave me a few minutes ago. Right. (laughs) Good heavens. And I was sitting there fairly new in my, my career as a speaker and trainer And I was absolutely terrified. How on earth am I going to face this literally hostile audience, not physically so, but attitudinally hostile? How am I going to face them? And I just thought, okay, Jim, just do the first part. Stand up. And and then tell the truth. Because that's the, the quickest way to be brave is tell the truth or do what's real. Don't try to fake something or pull off bravery when you're terrified inside, you know, don't try to look like you're not terrified. Just acknowledge your terror and get on with it. 
And so I stood in front of the group and I looked at them and they scowled at me. And I said, I absolutely doubt that I can motivate any of you. However, I do know a lot about motivation and I can show you many ways to motivate yourself and others when you need to. And then I went on and I taught my class. And of course, they didn't respond favorably at any point during the whole thing. And I had to come back two more days and do it again. And oh, Lord, it was hard to get myself back to that place to do it again. But I did it. And I was proud that I did it afterwards. It bothered me for a long time, but I got over it. Well, I love the model that you shared, Jim, which is this belief that bravery is not the absence of fear. It's acting despite the fear. And yeah. you would hear famous people who do something and someone comes up to them and says, wow, you're, you're fearless. And you know, what a great job. And they're like, are you kidding? I was so afraid to do what I needed to do today. Uh, you know, I was, I thought I was like rippling with fear. No kidding. And, you know, I always remember, and I'm not sure why, but I always remember a documentary I once watched on a great uh, American actor, Gregory Peck. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was in his late 70s at this time, and he was doing a, a live presentation for an audience to talk about his film career and great movies like To Kill a Mockingbird, etc. Mm -hmm. And the interviewer said to him uh, before he went on, are you nervous? And he looked at her and said, of course I am. I'm always nervous. You never know what you're going to say. You never know how they're going to react. You never know what might be happening. You know, you'll never know what might happen, but... I love it so much and I want to do it so much. I always go on. And yeah. And it was just like, wow, here's Gregory Peck. Like, you know, one of the world's most famous actors this late in his career, this wasn't early on, but you know, he's now Oscar winning and retired and just going around and talking about himself. And he is declaring that he is nervous. So I think it, I think it supports that belief that, you know, bravery isn't the absence of fear. It's not this, place that people have gotten to where they don't feel it at all or don't know it at all. They just keep moving forward because they know they have to do what they have to do. That's true. And I, I coach a lot of executives. Uh, well, not a lot, not a large number, but I mean, I frequently coach executives and other fellow professional speakers in the growth of their own career. And I'm frequently asked, do you ever get nervous before a speech? And the answer is, of course, but I know how to deal with that nervousness. And first off, there's, there's a certain amount of physical and, and uh, attitudinal energy that's required in order to be able to do a good job. And you want the butterflies, you just want to be able to command them to fly the way you want them to, like they say, get them to <laughs> fly in formation. But that nervousness is, it's kind of like pregame jitters. You know, after the first contact with the uh, opposing players, the pregame pre jitters go away. And uh, it, it's like uh, there's a, a famous quote from some ancient general. He said, no battle plan ever survives the first contact with the enemy. Well, same thing's true. All your good intentions and all your fears and everything, the minute you stand in front of a group and engage, that tends to diminish. But I when I get most nervous is when I don't know why I'm there 
or why they should care about what I've got to say that day. And so I don't take engagements where that occurs. I spend a lot of time studying my audience and thinking, how can I make what I'm talking about relevant to them? And why should they care whether they know it or not? And then I remember a woman asked me in in California last month, she said, I've got a speech to give and I'm nervous about it. And I said, but you are the boss. You're the big deal. You're the, you're the hero in this case. You know, they want to hear from you. She said, yeah, but I'm nervous. And I said, you know why? She said, why? I said, because you're thinking about you. Stop it. She said, what do you mean? I said, the reason you're speaking is them. You're there to deliver a message, perform a ceremony, do an acknowledgement, teach a skill, uh, mention some news or something that they need. You're there for the benefit of them. She said, yes. I said, then stop thinking about you and just think about what you want them to learn. She said, well, what if, what if they, you know, they're judging me? Let them. You can't control whether people judge you. You can just control whether you're worthy of their conclusion or not. You know, if they think you're a jerk and you are a jerk, get on with it. If they think you're a jerk and you're not a jerk, you don't deserve that criticism. Don't worry about it. So stop thinking about you. And she said that amazingly does reduce my anxiety. And I said, yeah, that's the focus. Before every speech, 3,300 speeches over all these years, before every speech, I say a little quiet prayer in my head. I say, Lord, help me, help me be of value to them today. You know, help make this message relevant and meaningful and useful for these people under this, these circumstances. And I've been... Well, I- Pardon, pardon my interruption, but I, I've been introduced um, into situations that were horrible, where you know I was coming into a, a adversarial posture with the audience, like the one that I just mentioned in the medical school, and I've had other occasions similar to that in in, in uh, some ways, and each time I just told the truth. You know, I just focused on them and the value of the message to them, and it helped diminish my own nervousness. And one day, this just occurred to me, one day I was speaking to a group of people, and they were uh, accountants. So it was a large accounting firm, and they were completely non-responsive. And I had a five-hour seminar that was designed for about 60% me and 40% them interacting with me. Well, they didn't interact. So a few hours into the seminar, I'd covered all the content. And uh, we took a break and I told my meeting host, I said, we're done. He said, what? You still got like an hour and a half left. And I said, yeah, but they, for some reason, are not participating at all today. And I know audiences and I know how to get them involved, but something else is going on today. So I recommend that when we reconvene, 
I do a quick summary of what I've covered so far, and then you take it from there and do whatever seems to be needed most that's not connected to my talk. And he said, okay. And they did, and it went fine. We're going to pause in our conversation with Jim Cathcart and ask that you join us next week as we hear more from Jim about how he has demonstrated Worry Free at work. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple, Overcast, CastBox. We are everywhere. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.